FaceFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic of Guys and Singles. This week, special sale, as it's always a special sale, but this one specifically for all you ballers out there, all of you people that love pimp foils, because it's 15% off all foil cards, all every single one of them, excluding the Corset 2020, of course, but everything else, 15% off, so definitely check that out. Um, they've been selling really fast, so uh, if there's been a foil card that you had your eye on for a while, Definitely go to faceofacegames.com. Uh, tonight, we got Annie and John in the house, and we got uh, potentially a special guest joining us in uh, Bashir. We're going to welcome him back as he preps for uh, PT Barcelona with lots of, uh, mo- or MC Barcelona, rather, with a lot of Modern Horizons. And then just to get his thoughts on Modern Horizons and, and the modern format itself. Uh, but of course, the big news. The reaction that I want, obviously, is from the god himself, the god of the graveyard, his bridge from below, was announced as banned on Monday. So, Mr. Final Nub, what was your early reaction as someone? I mean, I'll, I'll give credit to Andy and Elliot, I believe, in the First Strike host chat, private chat on Facebook. They both thought the bridge from below, number one candidate to be banned. You, you were playing it cool, you know, maybe prob- probably no bannings. Were you surprised, Mr. John? Take it away. Uh, a little bit surprised, but like I was more impressed than anything. So um, I messaged a ver- uh, some, uh, some people before the banning that um, I, I handicapped it as like 60% no ban, 30% bridge from below ban. And the reason why I was kind of um, confident in a no ban is because um, Wizards of the Coast hasn't really shown the propensity to really preemptively ban anything except for ramming up runes and ferocidon and given that um it's only like it, it didn't even terrorize the one week in um in paper of paper events whereas like we had like three weeks of online uh, online data and the fact that um ian duke who has i think does a fantastic job going over the reasoning and the logic and the data even though they themselves deprive the data from us i still think it's very good to see and conceptual like just like contextualize the actual banning and like I, I have, I have absolutely no problems with that. My stance was I didn't think it was going to get banned, but I should get banned, and I'm happy that uh, Bridge from Below actually got the ban because I think Hogak and Alter still does something uh, cool. I'm, I'm not of the opinion that Faithless Looting needs to get banned. I think it, I think it um, allows for proper, uh, no, um, creative deck building as well as um, just like Faithless Looting decks do police certain aspects of the format and like. I've always said that modern is a fun, uh, self-policing format. I think it's healthy for there to be faithless looting decks. And Sodek, the uh, noted dredge streamer, was already testing like a Hogak deck without the bridge with the Hedron, Hedron Crabs and Memory Sluice and all that. So I think there's potential for Ho- there to be Hogak decks still. So uh, I think it's A-plus for Wizards to, not, uh, to ban before they ruin the Barcelona PT and keep the, um, the, the potential for the archetype of Hogark intact. Are you saying potentially buy low on Hogak? Hashtag uh, MTG Finance? No, no, don't hashtag MTG Finance. Um, Hogak's like seen some play in Legacy as well. Um, I don't like. I personally don't think it'll like it'll be ever as high as it is. But it's shitting on mana. It's intrinsically powerful, and yeah, I, I don't think we've seen the last of Hogak by far. Sweet, sweet. Um, Annie, what's your reaction? And, and you were right on the money. Uh, first, your reaction, and second, uh, surprise, he didn't also ban something that killed John's pet deck. Yeah, uh, in our group chat, we uh, mentioned a lot. So John kept saying, he's like, oh, I'm pretty sure they're not going to ban it. And I was very adamant that I'm absolutely positive they're going to ban something. And as we see, I was right. They, uh, they banned Bridge from Below, the easiest ban by a lot. It's only played in that deck, and it takes away the combo element of the deck, which is, like, the least fun part about it. So it's, like, a pretty easy ban. Nothing, like, n- no good intentions with that card. And uh, I thought maybe we could potentially see a Neo 4 a ban in something in that uh, 
Neoform deck just because uh, it's not fun. Like, it's just to ch- check your hand, see how good it is, and see if you win. And I think that, uh, yeah, I don't think the deck's very fun. I'm not, I'm convinced it's basically like a, like Grishold brand of the past, except it's better than that for sure. It's better because it can't get hated out, but it's still the same, like, pretty high fail rate deck. It's very fast, but can fail. And I think that that's okay to exist in modern, but it is really not fun to play against. And I think, I don't know, I wouldn't mind just seeing them ban Grizzlebrand to kill both those decks so that nobody has to deal with it, because it's not fun. But at the same time, like, what some people find fun to others, or not fun others do, so maybe they should just leave it alone. It's not too good. It's, like, proven that it's likely not too good. So I think it's fine to leave it. But, like, in a perfect world for me, and my enjoyment of the game, I think banning something from it would have made me happier. Hmm. As P- PV tweeted out, I, I'm, I think you probably agree with the sentiments then. I'm happy that Bridge is banned from Modern. I wish they had just banned more things. I don't think a deck like Neoform that's basically just reveal opening hands, showdown to see who wins, should exist and be competitive. What's your take, John? <laughs> Look, um... First, let me make it clear. I am in support of banning Allosaurus Rider. I think Neoform itself has the potential to do some cool things, but I don't think this deck in uh, its current iteration, in, in, like, with this deck idea, is acceptable. Like, um, we've seen banning where power level wasn't the only concern, right? Second Sunrise was not considered the best deck uh, as far as I can tell, but it was made for very miserable um, gameplay. And, you know... I've, I've got some empirical data. Um, Pascal Vieren actually um, posted an article on Neoform on Hararia today, and he ran some simulations, and, he, um, me, and me and his numbers both kind of mirror, mirror each other. Um, we would kill around 9% of the times, which I think is higher London volume, like let's call it 10% by turn one, and then an additional 20% chance of winning by turn two. So that's 30%, almost one-third of the games being done by turn two. And we see these like really meme um, screenshots and video clips where it's like, oh, I died without ever taking a game action. Like, that's not fun for anyone. So I 100% agree that um, this deck just, like, should not exist. Um, I, I will rebut and like, kind of like reject some people saying that, hey, you know, like no one really enjoys this type of magic anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I personally do. Like, I think like part of part of the reason why magic is great is because like people can express themselves uh, through their personalities and how they want to like express themselves in magic. I don't want to grind their one. Po- I don't want to grind out my one point one for one uh, incremental advantages with Jund. I don't want to play a long game. I just want to play uh, play my matches in twenty minutes and get lunch for half an hour. So, I think it's healthy to have uh, viable archetypes for like. For each corner of the metagame, like aggro, mid-range, control, etc. And I think combos actually like been depth for like a, over a year because like the other aspects of the metagames they kind of suppressing it. So I'm fine having these types of decks, and I disagree with the fact that no one with the statement that no one really wants to play this type of magic. Like there are some people that do. <laughs> so, certainly, like more people would be in favor of it not being around. I do think that some people do like it, but I think overall play experience of the group of Magic players would be improved with something gone from the deck. I fully agree, but I will also assert that um, I think every corner of the metagame polices another corner. Like, if you ban store, like all the spell-based turn 3-4 decks like Storm and Infect, then Tron might like take over, and then people are going to be complaining about that, because they like to play their green-black or blue-white decks, and then vice versa. It's like really a rock-paper-scissors sort, of sort of an ecosystem where modern adjusts to like, police itself. So I think I don't, I don't think this Neoform deck is acceptable, but I think like this type of like roulette all-in like Combo decks are, are not acceptable. I think they are, and I think they do serve a purpose. I think uh, what makes what separates Neoform from the other decks that you described, like the Infects and Storm, is that there's like an obvious path to hate out those decks and an obvious path to combat them. When like a, some colors just don't have a way to interact with the Neoform deck, they mostly just have to hope that they like hit, like that they miss, and that's pretty like crappy feeling like at least with storm you can like have a graveyard hate spell or with uh infect you know you have to have creature removal 
like you understand the path that you could take with deck building to like help with the, against those decks, but Neoform doesn't have the, the same thing. There's not a lot of good cards against the deck, which, like, thank goodness the deck's not that good. Otherwise, it would be un- it'd be really hard to stop because it has very few things to interact with it. I think you make a lot of good points. Part of the reason why it appealed to me was because I was getting tired of getting Leyline and Grisho Brand, uh, uh, Surgical Extraction and Rest in Peace with Grisho Brand. Whereas for this deck, it's Grafter's Cage. Um, it's like sometimes Chalice and like permission spells like Dolvin's Veto that's really unbeatable. It's a much narrower uh, scope of answer cards that work against it, whereas, um, as you said, removal, common removal is good against Storm and Infect. Graveyard Hate is good against Grisho Brand, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think you make good points. I don't think this deck is that acceptable in its current form or in, in, with this deck philosophy. And, but until they ban it, like, I, don't think, I don't think it's unethical for me to keep playing it. It's legal. But maybe you would argue it is. I would understand oh, it's cer- it. It's certainly ethical to play. Like you're allowed. Like the, they let you play it. It's ethical to play Hogak, and that deck was busted off the planet. It's just that uh, you you got to understand that you probably shouldn't be allowed to have that kind of stuff happen. No arguments for me. So, any? Do you have a modern tournament coming up? And and what are you playing? What are you playing? Jamming the leagues. Uh, I think in August or maybe even this month, the, the PTQs start the modern PTQs. So uh, I've been playing Is It Phoenix again. I played it during the Hogak era, and I, I will certainly play it after because I think it'll, you can finally cut the crappy surgical extractions from your main deck and start playing more gut shots or more other cards if need be. And you can uh, not have so many graveyard hate spells in the sideboard. And I think that uh, Is It Phoenix is primed to just or do really well again. It was already like one of the best decks in the format. It got uh, an upgrade with Aria Flame being so powerful in over like Pyromancer's Ascension, and you don't have to play Crackling Drake anymore because you have this uh, Aria Flame plan to go right around the graveyard hate, which is exactly what the deck was looking for. So I think uh, Is It Phoenix is primed to just do very well. It already could beat Dredge without gra- drawing a graveyard hate spell. Like the matchup's fine. And then post-board, you're fine against that. So I think that deck being on an uptick is still fine for Is It Phoenix. I played Is It Phoenix at the GP where Dredge was big, and I was, I was okay with it. Like, Is It Phoenix can fare just like... It can beat everything. It has game against most things, except like unfair combo decks. So like Neoform's probably a bad matchup, pre-board at least. And then you just have to hope to like spike post-board. Just like Ad Nauseam was a bad matchup for... Uh, is it Phoenix? And I think that's okay with uh, with that stuff. I think is it's uh, one of the best decks right now and very well positioned. Where, where's your hat at, John? So I think um, I, have, I have two thoughts here. On one hand, like we really should have been living in a, a format in flux because Modern Horizons, between Modern Horizons and War of the Spark, I think arguably we got two of the most impactful sets for uh, not only for modern, but eternal period back to back. There's so many interesting cards, so many interesting build arounds, but we really haven't gotten to see the effects of that because Hogak was masking it. It was, it was basically dual deck Hogak against everyone else. Now that the menace is gone and now that Hogak is not forcing the metagame into a narrow space, I'm hoping we get to see, um, uh, some good, uh, cool new decks such as like Snow Control or like Urza, uh, Urza, Grixis Urza, or uh, I saw a really interesting Snow Brintolite Scapeshift deck with the Coatles. Like, I think that's interesting. But um, for PT Barcelona, the most likely, I think, uh, impact is going to be that these two new sets will supplement the existing tier one decks rather than create and spawn new ones. And for me, I think the actual archetype and the metagame spread is not going to be very interesting. I think it's going to revert back to uh, blue-white, dredge, is it phoenix, uh, humans. Um, I think, I, I think green-black uh, green X is actually going to be in the top five in most played, and I think Tron's going to be like, around there, but wrongly uh, heavily played. So I expect Barcelona to uh, represent, uh, to showcase new cards, but not new archetypes. What would you focus your uh, your efforts on tuning if you were going to the PT, John? 
I would definitely and personally start on Dredge because like people forget that Dredge was already very good on tier one before like it got it basically got banned by Hogak and they just got unbanned by the banning of Hogak because I think it was like strictly worse than Hogak. But people forget that Blast Zone was an uh, incredible pickup. It, it really swung the, uh, the EV uh, in the uh, humans dredge matchup. Um, Shenanigans is a very g- good addition to dredge, I think. It's going to replace some, if not all, of the ancient dredge slots. And like, if Tron's going to be on the downtick, I think dredge is going to be very, uh, very well placed. Um, is a Phoenix something I've continuously been uh, impressed with, especially now that they've picked up uh, uh, Sinkhole, uh, so, sorry, Sinkhole, Narset, but more importantly, Aerial Flame, I guess, I think, as well as Force Negation. I think that deck has, was always good, and it, it's, uh, it's, I think it's being elevated to the next level here. So those two are the ones, like, I know it's boring, are the ones that I'm interested in. Uh, I think uh, Jund is a very good sleeper, as well as uh, Blue-White, if you can uh, turn your 75. And, like, answer decks, like, Blue-White and Jund are always going to have an advantage in the open deck list uh, snare, uh, setting, like the PT. So I expect a healthy amount of Jund and uh, Blue-White players. Hmm. With uh, right. Ren, Ren and 106 ticks or whatever? Yeah. Someday someone's going to have to explain to me why that card's any good, but... <laughs> it looks so trash to me in modern, but they play it. Okay, John, can you defend? Is Ren a good card in modern? Go. Well, let's let's note uh, first and foremost that there was uh, there were ten copies of Ren on six in the Legacy Challenge. It's already making a huge impact in four color Delver and four color control. Modern, I'm still very interested. Um, I, I I know some lists like Logan Metals Jun list have replaced Dark Confident which seems like heresy, but it's just like a replacement for a two-mana card advantage spell. And I think it's very good in certain, uh, certain metagame. I know Edgar was trying out in Amulet last night. Um, I think Modern's too wide open to play it in the main deck, but I could be wrong. Um, but one of the reasons why I was interested in uh, Jun was because I think Renan 6 has a lot of potential as a two-mana Planeswalker. And if, like... A deck like Blue White can probably never beat a turn to uh, a Renom Six that goes under a Mana Leak or a, a Logic Knot, for example. And uh, yeah, I, I'm really interested in uh, Jund and even like Mardu. Like Mint Range is actually where my mind is at, even though I, I would test uh, Phoenix and Dredge. But yeah, I, I think Renom Six is potential. I'm not sure if it's the right fit for Modern, but I, would, I wouldn't be surprised either way. I would put any money on you never playing a mid range deck. <laughs> real real tournament comes around you just throw your Jun deck in the garbage and you pick up mono red phoenix there's no way <laughs> hey dredge is pretty much Jun control so i don't know i don't know about that okay. it's it's true Andy. the gog has to play some amount of recursion even if it's phoenix i, I can see that happening culligan's uh, command's not enough for the man <laughs> yeah yeah that's not that's not enough recursion on earth no thanks <laughs> Uh, before we get Bashir on, I wanted to uh, pick your guys' brain on the spot and, and well, listeners who, who might want to chime in and tweet at me at KYT Magic with their thoughts. But um, I'll start us with this. And, Andy, do you, did you used to play at your LGS and do you play less because of MTGO and MTG Arena, the availability versus you know, when we first met? Like, when we first met, I would say I played at my LGS probably three to four times a week. And now I play, I played none for the past like year. And then recently in the last couple months, I've started playing once a week again to support my favorite store that I like locally. So I've decided that if I'm going to play, I'm going to play at that store just to kind of make sure that their numbers stay up and help the players there because I want to support the store, honestly. But uh, yeah, it's hard to convince yourself to go play uh m and those kind of events because as silly as like silly as it is to say and if you just sometimes it feels like you don't learn enough you certainly don't learn enough for the amount of time you spend because uh, i could play way more matches in arena in the same time and i would likely play against a higher quality opponent i think than i would at my lgs but i think uh yeah, so sometimes it is a battle to convince myself to do that. I just had to decide that uh, sacrificing my time is uh, for supporting a local store is worth it to me sometimes. 
back to my day. <laughs> back in my day, I feel like uh, I mean, I'd love to talk to John about this because he hasn't had that uh, pretty new to the scene, right, John? So um, before, I feel like I went to the LGS after school, whether it be um, college or university, and like every Friday night, I would love there to. I would have lots of fun. It would be the common meeting point. I wonder if. Um, social media and Facebook makes it so much easier to connect that um, the incentive of, of actually meeting up, I feel less of that. And I don't know if that's part of that, Andy. Do you, do you feel I, that I gotta definitely agree. Cause uh, I uh, used to go to hang out with my friends to play magic and now I play other video games or whatever and magic with them online instead. Like I meet up and hang out in discord with my friends who live two and a half hours away every single day, like without fail. And I don't go to the LGS every day. And I remember, uh, like, even just maybe like five years ago, there'd be like the local game store was had way more players. I remember there used to be like 25, 30 player FMs, multiple of them in Kingston. Small Kingston's sort of small, 130,000 people, I think. And now it's like each of them are getting like eight to 12. So I feel like a big drop off personally. Mm. All right, John. John, what what about so you're fresh to the competitive scene? How often are are you visiting the LGS? Like back when I started, I try to go like as much as I can. Like I work a pretty uh, pretty strict and demanding job with the work hours, but I, I like the social interaction. I like getting to know the the community a bit when I was new. And uh, let me let me just be clear though, like I, I completely understand what you said about like when you were younger back in your days, that would be the meeting spot and all that. Um, if I was younger, I'd probably go there more often, you know. And uh, uh, in Vancouver, we have a we we have what I think is a very good uh, base of like like young adult, like high school stu- uh, kids who play at our LGS and are actually excellent players. So I think that that is still going on. But for me, it's just like not very time efficient in terms of um, games played per per hour, you know, because of the commute and all that. And uh, in terms of getting more out of it, too, like, I'm, like the stakes are too low for me. Um, I'm not saying it to be er- uh, sound arrogant or elitist, but I j- it just doesn't, like, $5 FNM just doesn't tickle my uh, fancy, you know. It's just like, let's grind out the $20, $30, like, store credit. It's like, I'd rather have something a bit mo- uh, more, more at stake. And be- given that it's a lot of uh, uh, commute to just get to there, um, unfortunately, I don't I don't make it um, out as often as uh, as often as I like to. Even like the local one K and two K tournaments, I just like forego for the convenience of playing the mocks or ch- the challenge at home. So it's unfortunate, but I like to go more often. But I just don't. <laughs> I, I would certainly go to local one Ks and two Ks, but they just uh, <laughs> certainly do not exist. It'd be like going to the local eighty dollar tournament. <laughs> I think the convenience, when we speak of convenience, is like, for me, it was on the route uh, back home from school. So it was like the perfect place to just stop, play the FNM, and then go home right after. Or sometimes we'd get together and eat and then go home. So pretty sweet. So, so times have changed. And, and I do want this to say this uh, because I don't think I've said it on any show, but when, <laughs> back, in my, back when I was in Noob Day, when I was starting to play more competitive uh, Magic, I, I have to get this in podcast form because this is the first time I met Andy. And this was, I believe, and Andy, correct correct me, at a national side event on Sunday, perhaps a PTQ, perhaps a Sunday PTQ or national. It was a PTQ. And uh, this is really early in my playing career, I would say, in my competitive career. And I was still in that net decking everything uh, as fast as possible. And I was playing Polymorph and, and what were you on, Abby? You were playing... I was playing uh, Jund with uh, four Jace the Mind Sculptor in the sideboard. Whoa. <laughs> for the Spreading Seas. And I played Lotus Cobra and Grave Titan, I think. All right. So the big lesson, and I think we've talked... I talked about it with Alex on Table for Two of how to improve, basically. I just had no idea how to sideboard one of the um, big downfalls of going in blind was I was combining basically two concepts. I was combining the fact that I knew Bailoff's uh, was it obstinate Bailoff at the time? Oh yeah, it was obstinate, obstinate Bailoff. I'll obstinate never forget Bailoff. this story. It's a good one. 
Offset Bailoff, in my mind, so part of my magic brain giant, Offset Bailoff is good against giant, right? Because they, they have removal and they, whatever, they, they have this card and I could just discard it and play it. I think, I'm not even sure if that was during the Blightning era. It doesn't really matter, but I, part of my brain says it's good against Offset Bailoff. The thing is, probably not good to have Offset Bailoff in your deck when you also have Polymorph. So in a spot where I would probably, Destroy Andy if I polymorph to like the right card that's part of the deck. I polymorph into Offset Bailoff. This is the first time meeting Andy, and Andy had inside or even outside, he was probably laughing at me. And uh, I thought that was pretty bad. I'll never forget that. So, what you said is like you're like flipping through your deck and you're like, shake your head. You're so mad at yourself, and you're just like, put in the Bailoff. And I'm like, oh. Because I thought I was dead. I was like, well, fuck, here comes Emrakul, I'm going to get attacked, and I'm dead. And then you're just like, gain four. <laughs> Go. <laughs> oh, all that effort. So that's a, that was a huge lesson in knowing your deck and knowing how, how to sideboard. And a uh, great story. But uh, part, part uh, I'm going to bring in Bashir shortly. But part of the reason I brought this up, because Esports Central Open in downtown Montreal, um, in the news articles, they've been hyping it as the biggest gaming center cafe in all of Canada, which I'm actually pretty surprised that it is. But uh, if it's true, um, then you know, props to them. And they're trying to see if they can get MTG players in. And that's where I, I find, and you know, they've asked for, for, for my advice. Well, not if I have any ideas as someone that is very entrenched and the Canadian Magic community. But I, I struggle to really come up with a reason that people would you know, come in and pay money to play an, a local, low-stakes MTG Arena tournament. I just And as well, you have to... The problem is, because they have fighting games, League of Legends, etc., and I think the difference between those games and something like Hearthstone, Magic, and Shadowverse is that people still need to have actually invested some amount of time or money to have a deck to play with. And you, it's not like a fighting game where you can come in and select fighters. Even in League of Legends, at this, I don't know what the deal is with them and Riot, but by playing there, you actually can play any character that they have. So you're not starting from way behind against a, um, someone with experience. Whereas in Magic, like, you might not just own the card, so... You know, I really struggle, and I wonder if you guys have any ideas, and, and if the concept of a local month, maybe even monthly, not even weekly, but monthly MTG Arena tournament would appeal to you. Would it have to be a 1K or 2K, Andy? I would have to be sitting at home. Otherwise, like, I don't, I, I'm not sure I would go somewhere to play in like a 1K Arena tournament. Uh, maybe I would. I probably would if it was local, but I would not travel any distance. If it was local to me, I would go, but there's no way. And I might not even go every time, but, like, I'd play it on Arena most of the time if I'm just, like, sitting at home. That was one of the best experiences I've had is just playing, like, a high-stakes tournament at home, playing Arena, and then if, when you scrub out or whatever, you just you could just go do something else. But it's an esports, like, gaming place. They want you to be there physically, so how do they get you there? I don't know. Give me more prize money than there is put in. I guess they'd have to do it at a loss or something. <laughs> I like. I've had uh, like, what do you? I've had some like uh, venues approach me before, being like, "Hey, like we want to host a Magic tournament," and like they tell me their costs, and I'm just like, "There's no way we would ever host a Magic tournament here because we can't pay five hundred dollars for a venue for a." Uh, like a 1K locally or a 2K that would just be ridiculous. And so I feel like that's kind of the same vein. Like they would have to run it like at cost or something to have all these people in there wearing down their computers. And so I'm not sure how to make it worth it. Like it'd be pretty cool. Maybe if they stream it, maybe if they have like a cool stream, that'd be interesting. And maybe the, the thought of becoming famous would uh, draw some people out. Maybe that's the the best option. Yeah, that's a good point. Non-monetary benefits, like I, I, so even locally, some people sometimes message the local Facebook page 
uh, where we're posting like the top eight for the, the Wednesday Yu-Gi-Oh events. And they're like, man, when's the picture going to be posted? Because they, they were on it. So it matters to people, even if you think it might maybe it's stupid to you, but to people, it means to some people, it means something. There's definitely people that would want to be, let's say, on the front page of Esports Central as like the best MTG Arena player. Uh, John, okay, just to get your quick thoughts and, and I'll invite Bashir in. Yeah, so Tangram's a friend of the show here mentioning, uh, made a good comment in the comments section. Um, if, I, if it was like me, like I would try to partner with uh, Wizards and like provide these like net cafes or these like esports facilities, like God accounts so people can, you know, uh, play their play their brews very easily rather than being forced to have a Magic Arena uh, account because I don't have it. Like, for example, like, I might want to go to a, a local 1K, which actually is happening in uh, Vancouver, uh, arena, arena only tournament, but I don't have the means, I, I, I don't have the cards to go there or play. So maybe that's one thing. The other thing is, like, maybe people, they need to run these as a loss leader, perhaps, or at cost. And maybe the benefits should be to attract people into these, like, new esports uh, stadiums or facilities and uh, or you know sponsorship or whatever like i think like at face value it's it's just not something that's workable so you need we need to like think like creatively and outside the box on how to attract these people not just through the merits of the price structure mm-hmm. uh, I, I actually in toronto they have uh, they have a gaming cafe sorry to interrupt and um well, I you can't that... talk I, I i didn't give you a hype intro yet so okay okay i, I was listening so joining the show Mr. MTGO legend, another legend, because John has a list of very, actually, no, it's not a long list. It's a short list of MTGO legend, and this guy is one of them. He's been grinding MTGO, drafting Modern Horizons like crazy to prep for Pro Tour Barcelona. He's trying to drive down, help the community by drive, driving down the price of Ren 6. Mr. Bashir, how's it I going? I went to the people yeah. for 30 tickets. Because I have, I only, I have over 200 matches of Modern Horizons Limited, but I only opened one Ren and Six. But I thought, I'm like, this is like a 10-ticket card, so I sold it for 30 tickets, but uh, I would make the same decision again, so I can't feel too bad about it. Uh, I, I forgot to take into account the set was, like, so limited. But anyway, yeah. For, I, no, I remember they had one, one tournament in Toronto. It was an eSports cafe, and the tournament, what they did to try to attract people, it wasn't successful, but I got, I got out there. It was called Pros versus Joes. So they had, like, a bunch of pro players, and, like, you got, like, double points if you beat them or something. And the prize was, like, insane. Like, I think it was, like, a 3K, and, like, 16 or 20 people showed up. I remember uh, Fournier scrapped out of it, and he was like, man, I can never win these. Wait, was he a pro? I think so. <laughs> I remember I was playing versus him, and I kept saying uh, stuff like pro versus Joe, and he was like, stop saying that. <laughs> and there was a giveaway. I won a battle, versus Zen- a battle for Zendikar, like, the, the 2015 one, dual deck. I still have it. Uh, so yeah, there was, it was pretty funny. I also remember, uh, Tyler Nightingale for some reason, they, they put him in front of a camera and they asked him what he thought about Hearthstone. So it was pretty funny day overall. Um, I don't think it was that success, successful, but it's definitely funny. I showed up like a couple hours early and I was looking around the esports cafe, but, um, yeah. I, uh, so yeah, that was, uh, interesting, I guess. Who, who are yeah. the, who are the other pros? There's like Sammy T, Edgar Magalhaes, um, I can't remember exactly who was there. Tyler Nightingale was one of the pros. Yeah, Tyler I remember Hayes. this for sure. They <laughs> they listed him as one of the pros. Yeah, so an exciting pro, I guess. So yeah, I team I teamed with a local pro once because we actually won a one k <laughs> once. It was actually so funny because when uh, it was a kind of a funny story. We disagreed on how to sideboard. So when I was playing with Tyler, I would kind of swerve to the side so I couldn't see how I was sideboarding. <laughs> I also remember one time uh, Omar Belden was on our team and. I was talking and I was like, Omar, like I was looking at Tyler and he was like struggling. Like he was sweat. He was playing Blue Red Phoenix. He was like struggling, sweating. You could see he was having a tough time. Like Omar was finished his game. Like Omar, can you help Tyler? And Omar's like, no, I played my game. You play your games. I'm not watching this crap. And he like walks away. Like we had great. I also remember in the, in the finals, we were against Edgar's team. And like I, sl- I slammed my Teferi on five. Well, I slammed my Teferi into open mana basically. And Edgar's like, oh my God, that's such a bad play. How could you make it? So they start arguing and then like Tyler starts arguing and then the judge is like, uh, who's shouting over there? And they're like, Tyler, are you arguing with other matches? They're like, you can't talk to other matches, Tyler. And they're like, ban him from talking. So it was a pretty good finals overall. And uh, yeah, that was a pretty good story. Actually, one other funny story. Yeah, I went to GP Seattle. I saw John there a couple, uh, Jonathan a couple weeks ago. And in the last round, I played against Tom Ross, the set designer. 
And it was actually so funny because <laughs> he was getting so tilted against me because number one, I play super slow. But well, I mean, I try and play fast. Like I didn't get any draws. But what happened? So basically, every time I play like like a computer, like I'm like uh, upkeep. No, I'm like uh, go to combat, attacks, no effects, blocks, go to damage. But I'm like that every turn, and our game was super grindy. And I remember in game three, like he was Tom Ross was clearly getting tilted. He was like like started saying it to was like go to attacks, go to blocks, and like yeah, it was uh, so that was a pretty funny story. Uh, Eric Landon was in the background like watching it. He said that Tom was like. Look like he was like losing his mind there against the insanity going on. I actually game one, so I, we were playing Modern Horizons draft, and um, I had like an insane blue red deck. And Tom Ross goes turn four Squirrel Lord, and I have the Spinehorn Minotaur, and which is like a two three. And if you draw a card, he gets double strike. And th- so then I go attack into a Squirrel Lord, and then I just fist of flames it. I eat like all his squirrels, and he was like so tilted. He was like his friends were behind him. He's like, I can't win this match. Did you see my draw? I don't know if that was a great story. Uh, I don't know what I was saying it, but yeah. So yeah, definitely a lot of MH. I got a good result there at twelve and three, but there were two day ones. I like five three the first day one, so you know a bit of a uh, cheating going on, I guess. Two day ones, but yeah, pretty happy with that result there. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so John, John, I think man, it's tough because uh, to, to wrap up this topic and to get into some PT Barcelona uh, prep questions. Um, because I, I talked to the people over at Esports Central, and they 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 told me like they expect people to pay part of it is the event venue fee, and, and you sort of mentioned sort Andy, where like they feel if you're taking, depending on how busy it is, if you're taking us a, a computer spot, that's like a cost that they want to make up. But then if you're charging that additional cost for people, then the pride, like the EV, is going to be complete trash. So it's a challenge. And, and I don't really think like pros versus Joe, like Joe's like, it's hard. Like pros, I don't think they, they really bring anything. And, and like here in Montreal, I think even if you did, if they hyped Alex Hain and he's the biggest Canadian pro we have, I don't think people would show up because he's there. Let's be honest. Like, I actually thought the pros started to. I actually thought it was kind of cool. I was like, "Nice, I'm gonna go there and beat a, a bunch of like Fournier and Edgar because it's always nice <laughs> to play against them." But I guess that's just. I don't know if that appeals to everybody else. I was like Tyler too. <laughs> I mean, I guess it didn't appeal to everybody else. I was like the only non-pro who showed up. I guess <laughs> there was like 16 people. John, John, would that appeal I, to you? <laughs> I, I think it's a cool idea. Like poker does like bounty tournaments, right? Where like the pros have a bounty extra. You win extra for busting them. I think it's a cool idea, but unfortunately, like to like your local FNM grinders and FNM and bosses, like I don't think they care that much. I don't, or nor do I think the pros are too uh, visible or, or too famous enough. So unfortunately, idea is cool. I don't think it has practical application. Yeah, like Negranu, Helmuth—they're like super famous. Alex is the best player in this country, and I don't think a random FNM player cares. Like they could put, you know, I- I'm sure like. I'm being serious. They put Alex and me as the local gunslingers. No one, no one cares. No one cares. Um, it's sad, but <laughs> it's true. Okay, let's let's get to to Barcelona Tech. Um, Dan, what's your uh, early reaction? Well, what was your reaction to the bannings, and uh, what what was your mind at in terms of your modern prep? So yeah, I, I haven't played any modern since like March or May or no, but since like March, uh, I was just waiting for the ban list. Because I thought the Hogak deck was crazy, but it seemed kind of like hard to learn to play. Not really that hard, but just to like learn everything it's doing. So I, I decided to just wait until the ban list. And uh, yeah, so um, when it was banned, the first deck I, I tried to play was uh, Blue Red Phoenix, just because I own it. So I'll probably play that, but Hogak still seems kind of busted. Actually, I played against uh, Yuta Takahashi just two nights ago, and he was playing a Hogak deck. And he was playing Memory Splice, which has a Conspire on it, which I don't even know what that does, but it like milled a bunch of his own cards. And uh, it still seems pretty powerful, the Hogak decks, but I'll probably just play Is It Phoenix. It's been doing pretty pretty uh, decently. Like probably Hogak or Dredge might be more powerful. I think Dredge has some issues, like like basically Phoenix doesn't have that many like polarized matchups. Like um, I mean, that's not strictly make it good, but a deck like... Other decks, they can have more, like, good and bad swingy matchups, where Phoenix is more, like, 50-50 across the board. I mean, blue-white might be bad, I'm not sure. Maybe, like, humans and Jund are, like, 45-ish. But it, it doesn't really have any, like, 
oh, I, uh, I'm dead matchup. So like, it doesn't, it won't have those feel bads. Like you register like burn and you get prey against like soul sisters or something. So yeah. Can I, can I just make a point here? Like, like Karsten did a, did some math on, you know, whether it is nice to have a tighter matchup spread or whether it is good to uh, maximize the EV here. And he argued that um, higher EV or higher win rate decks with higher, like more volatility in terms of matchup spread is more likely to have uh, spike uh, finishes like 12 and 3, 13 and 2, which you need to top 8 an event. And so like, I, I think it's a bit of an illusion here. Like people like the illusion of agency and people like, people like the fact that they think they're in every game. But I think like, you know, like Budokov, for example, a noted online grinder, chose Cheerios of all decks in the Mox finals. And like, I think that's something to be, uh, something you have to really respect here. And I, I understand what you're saying about like the matchup spread and uh, how, how tight or how wide the matchup trend is. But I think for, uh, uh, for a tournament like Pro Tour, you really want to just be maximizing your EV. And, you know, if you have a few polarizing matchups, just have a plan for it. But don't be 0%. But like, I, I think in modern, it's okay to have a few 30, 70 matchups. I'm not sure what you guys think. Yeah, I agree. I think if your goal when you're entering a tournament just to maximize your win rate, sort of in a vacuum, uh, it's not always the best chance to go for 50-50. But it's just sort of a... It's like I kind of want to get into the deck early that I'm playing so that I can play it proficiently. And this way it's sort of like safe because like if I play a deck like uh, Dredge or Hogak, I don't know if it's like worth the risk. Whereas if a deck like Phoenix, it's hard to go too wrong. So it's sort of like playing very conservative in that way. It's just like I want to lock into my deck early so that way I can like know all the matchups, tune it up, and uh, yeah, but I could see definitely like some rough matchups like like maybe black-green and and, and uh, it's like not bad, but like slightly under 50 and like humans might be rough and and blue-white, I guess I already said that. But, um, and also it's a deck I like to play, like, which I think is important because it can help you focus. Like the, tr the days can be long or the tournaments and you, I think it's really important to try and play as well as possible. And when I'm playing Is It Phoenix, I can focus pretty well because I like to play the deck. So that, that's also a part of the reason why I'm choosing the deck uh, because I enjoy it. Because if I play a deck like um, that I wouldn't like playing as much, it would be harder to focus, which it's hard to admit sometimes. Like I actually found earlier this year, I was kind of forcing myself to play whatever I thought the best deck was. But like sort of I would get lazy in the tournaments. Like if there was a really hard line, I just didn't care, so I just kind of play at random. But um, so I do think that that can be relevant, like just enjoying the deck you're playing. Uh, I think that's a great point here. So, sorry, Andy, I was actually going to direct this at you, but like you can maybe you can comment on this as well. I'm I'm just curious to like hear because you've played a lot of Is of Phoenix, you've now played a bit with Aria. Like, what do you think the matches matches spread against the top decks are uh, against uh, against um, sorry with phoenix against the top decks like i understand like green black or discard decks might be slightly hard but maybe you can talk about that and you know maybe like just like comment on like you know playing good playing fun decks that you like versus playing begrudgingly decks that might be best but you know that you hate yeah i i decided at some point that i would not only play the best deck i would play the best deck that i like and I, like, I would almost always play a Tier 1 deck. I don't think I would ever go as far as to, like, play, like, a bad deck, even if I liked it. I usually would just stick to, like, find the, of the good decks, which deck do I like best, and I'll play that one. And that's something I do all the time. Like, in, in every format, I've always done that. I always, like, when Mono Red was probably the best deck in Standard, I probably wouldn't play it. I just don't enjoy it as much. I don't like it. I don't like to think about those decisions as much as I like to think about other decisions. So I'll, I'll be enjoying myself more solving the puzzles that I want to solve and the puzzles that perhaps suit my strengths in solving. But uh, when it comes to Ace of Phoenix against, I think the black straight black-green was like, a sl like slightly unfavored. I think uh, Jund is... I, I don't think Ren and Six changes anything. If anything, it's pretty bad against you, I would assume. So I think you're, it's probably just even... And uh, because you can sometimes Blood Moon them depending on what their mana base is like and how they play. It all depends on how they play, honestly. You have to kind of feel it out. And uh, against everything else, you're just, I feel like you're slightly favored more often than you're unfavored, but that's, you don't ever get that favored unless you're playing against like elves or like a, a creature deck or something. I think that's kind of the why I like Is It So Much. It's like one of my favorite things because it's just, 
you're never really dead. Against anything you're terrible against, you can just have a really fast draw and kill them on turn three or four. And against other decks, you have a lot of ga- like play to your games. You can kind of eke out a couple percentages that maybe you couldn't get while playing other decks. So that's kind of how I feel about it. You're not a super favorite against a lot of stuff, but you're fine. Yeah, but still for a for like sort of a 50-50 deck, you do have some pretty good matchups. Like you mentioned Elves, and people say Scales is like a really good matchup. Um, and, and some decks like where... Yeah. So, so you have some matchups that are actually still quite good, and you don't really... I mean, Tron, I guess, would be the conventional bad matchup, but um, it doesn't seem that good right now with all the Collector Oofs, though people might still play it, I don't know. And also the format's speeding up. Like, not only are, like, Collector Oof being printed, but also, like, the general speed of the format's getting a bit faster. And, yeah, so... But, yeah, um, I did play against... I was playing against Jund a couple last night against Jabberwocky, so the game was pretty close. I ended up losing, but it, it, it did feel pretty close, though it was in three games, though I kind of felt like I got lucky game one, which is the one I won. But yeah, I definitely need to test it more and see how it goes. Um, it's definitely interesting, but also you can sideboard stuff. Like you can try and sideboard like, um, like Entrancing Melody or Crackling Drake or like shot, like whatever. Like those threats can go a long way in the matchup. And you have two Blood Moons right now, so those can can really go a long way uh, in helping the matchup too. But uh, yeah, but then um, and then the draft formats going to be really tricky. The Modern Horizons. I don't know if any of you have played it. I know Jonathan's uh, played a bit, bit of the drafts. So that that should be really fun. It's like a really difficult format, and everyone has different takes, which is usually indicative of a good format. Like sometimes there's just a consensus. Everybody agrees this is the best, this is the worst. But uh, in looking at at the logs, like a lot of people on are drafting. They're all like just forcing mono black or forcing Grixis. I'm not mono black, but forcing black, bluer, or black red. And lots of people are like sort of forcing. Uh, colors like they're saying don't touch white um but a lot of people are like playing like green decks a lot or saying snow is the best so that's usually pretty indicative of a pretty rich format when a lot of people can't agree on what's the best thing so it should definitely be an interesting uh draft you can definitely do a lot of sweet stuff like the format's very fast too a lot of my games i play like i just somebody dies on turn five elisa which is pretty fast for limited so john we even though I recorded a mammoth app episode with Alex, we did we only touched your question a bit. Probably have to address it next episode, which was you wanted to ask us how how we would approach or this question topic of approaching limited, how we would go about improving. So that's where I would want to to pick Dan's Dan's brain here to get his his take. Um, how are you approaching modern? Are you um, you know you're finding out all these different takes from different people? And we know you've got a ton of drafts under your belt, but uh, can you comment on your overall approach uh, to how you want to improve at Modern uh, Limited? So, because John, John, John wanted, I, like, I would want to know what John's approach is currently as well. But uh, you first, Dan. Yeah, so the way, the format's pretty tricky because it's a high synergy format, but a lot of the synergy cards only go in one deck. So, for example, like ninja cards, some ninja cards, they don't pivot well. Like in some draft formats, you have a card like Lightning Bolt. Let's say you open it. You take that and you can pivot into any red combination. But in this format, a lot of the powerful cards only go in one direction. So it's like, if like, um, like cards like, um, I'm trying to think of a specific example, because a lot of the cards are just generically powerful, but like a lot of the enabler cards, like Moonblade Shinobi, Fairy Seer, I mean, you can sort of play them. Around, like, the Sliver payoffs, I guess, would be the most obvious example, like Cleaving Sliver. Um, yeah, like Thundering Jin, um, Spinehorn Minotaur. So that, those are just some examples of cards that they're really good in one deck, but they don't pivot well. But the thing is, they're, they're not easy to pick up. So you kind of want to... So, so basically, the thing is, you want to be drafting the open colors because you don't want to be cut off. But if you take the, um, those enablers or the payoff cards too early, then you can like kind of set yourself up for a train wreck. Like normally you'd want to take like generic good cards, like removal spells, generic vanilla cards early. But the problem is you can kind of get run over. I mean, removal spells are still fine in the format. Um, so it's sort of like you want to move into your synergy deck early so that you can cut other people off of it. But at the same time, you don't want to move in too early so that people cut you off. John, John how, how do you approach the format? I, I echo a lot of what uh, Daniel said here. Um, 
this this isn't like any like most like traditional limited uh, sets in that it's not just about you know getting uh, grinding out your one and a half for ones, taking good cards, generic cards. You need to make a constructed style streamlined deck. You need to draft an archetype, not a pile of good cards. And some of these drafts are extremely tricky to navigate. I think it's like it's like receiving signals and t- uh, towing your uh, toes along like on like several lines and like just teetering until you can pounce on it. Like you get like a seven pick answer prey or a seven pick rot whittle pack. At which point you just like pounce on it. Like I, I was reading Daniel's uh, draft log today and he had a eighth pick uh, rot widow pack, which I think is one of the, one of the better card one of the best cards in the, in the deck act- uh, in the format, actually, not only as a green black archetype, like linchpin, but also a splashable, like, uh, game-winning card, and we we kind of talked over and agreed that that was like a loud signal, but um, he he didn't like think of it like that uh, live, and it's just like a lot of nuances that like really differs from a uh, normal uh, draft format. So it's tricky, and you definitely need a lot of reps in it. And there's definitely going to be some unintuitive conclusions that you need to make that goes counter to your like fundamental limited beliefs. Yeah, it's, it's, I would like, for example, one card for people who haven't played this format, there's a card called Goblin Champion, and it's a 0 1 red creature. Uh, it's basically Noble Hierarch, but it doesn't make mana, so it's just Exalted. And it's actually quite an overperforming card. Like, at first, I kind of ignored, I kind of glossed over it, like, like, what is this garbage? Like, 0 1 Exalted, but it basically enables you to make a lot of attacks that normally you couldn't make. Like, it sort of just l- lets you keep attacking. Like, there's a three, there's a two mana three two. And then it turns into a 4-3, or there's like a, there's like a dragon that's like a 4-4, four, four, and then it makes it a 5-5. Five, five. And it's just like the chip damage matters a lot in this format, sort of. Like, there's also a lot of, like, 1-mana one 1-1s, one so I didn't expect them to actually be playable, but they're actually, like, extremely good. Like, there's a, a card that's, like, a blue for a 1-mana 1-1, um, and it scries to and it flies. And it, it works well in the ninja deck because it enables in ninjutsu. But like when I was first looking at the set, I didn't think that would be like an actual good thing. But it's actually probably the best deck. And the scry two is is obviously huge because you're kind of looking for that uh, combo in a way. It's also a very difficult format to play uh, the ninja deck against specifically because like they have a lot of stuff that punishes you if you attack, but also punishes you if you block if you try and block. So for example, they have one ninja. Well, all the ninjas are big, but one of them it's a six three. So like if you have a three three or a 4-4, four, four, you might just say, okay, I don't want to attack, I want to block it. But they also have a lot of ways to, like, give their creature flying. There's an enchantment. Um, like, for example, there's an enchantment 2-mana. Uh, put put it on anything, it gives it plus 1, plus 1 in flying. And also, if a ninja comes into play, you can return it from your graveyard. When I read that card, I'm like, this seems, like, unplayable. Why would I, why would I want this? But it's actually one of the best cards, because if you put that on the ninja, it just kind of, like, really goes over the top. But anyway, so that's what the, my point was just you play this no decks, it can be really hard to understand why you're losing because also your opponents play lots of different decks. So like maybe you win, but your opponent was just playing a deck that your deck lined up against. So you think your deck is good. It's sort of like the same. It's the problem is being too reactive in a way. It's, it can be hard to know exactly what to do, but playing the more aggressive decks can be simpler. But anyway, also the snow decks train wreck more. Like if you play other decks, the cards pivot well. If you use a bunch of picks on Snowlands, but then you can't get a snow payoff or you can't get a good deck, your deck train wrecks. But if you just go for like a mediocre deck, you can like two one a lot of the time, or even one two is better than O three at least. So, the, the, how ready do you feel right now? Yeah, I feel like pretty ready. I mean, the format is pretty hard. Like a lot of the picks, I still don't feel confident between my choices. It's pretty hard to read signals because there's like a lot of good gold cards. So that, yeah, like John was saying, I had a weird draft this morning where I was seeing good cards in every color, and yeah, I had like a Rot Widow pack, pack eight, but. I was like, okay, I see that, but that doesn't mean green's open necessarily. I mean, in that draft, it did, but like in general, because they might nobody, they might just not be playing black green, so they don't want rot widow. So, and there's a lot of stuff like that. There's a lot of like cards that are like insane, but also there's like a um, like Bogard and Dragonheart and Igneous Elemental. But a lot of people might not value them that high. But uh, yeah, I would say I feel pretty ready. Like, obviously, you can always use more. Like, so but, yeah, when I'm doing draft picks, I don't feel 100% confident on my on my picks. But like, my I'm like winning an okay amount. Like, I uh, so I'm I'm pretty confident where with where I am. Obviously, but I could improve more. Um, so I'll, I'll keep drafting a bit. But yeah, I'm trying to open some random six. <laughs> Sweet. I think we're gonna wrap up the show. Then uh, thank you so much for coming on once yeah, again. Sorry. I appreciate your time. 
And, Thanks for having uh, me on. Especially the, the eSports story and, and how your prep is going, your thoughts on what you're going to be playing in Modern. So pretty sweet. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming on, man. All right. I, I, John's got to run. So that was Dane uh, Gutchel. I forget how to pronounce it. I have to go back to the previous episode we have, have him on. Um, Bashir, MTGO, boss, plays a lot online. And uh, going to wrap, wrap things up with, uh, yeah, I tweeted this out um, because I, I really feel like um, I'm, not, I'm not really sure if First Strike is more of a, because it's moved from how I envisioned it at the beginning where it was like a one-on-one, one versus one uh, debate show really modeled after first take as Andy and I are really fans of Stephen A. Smith. Sorry, John, <laughs> but that show, but then with the switching of hosts with Brian moving on with Rob having a second kid, you know, we had in and out of hosts with Derek needing to take a break. And um, it, it's, I still love uh, introducing guests every now and then which is what First Take also does, so I'm fine uh, copying them on that as well. But it's become more uh, of a roundtable thing, and with with Andy, Elliot, John, and uh, and sometimes before Derek took his break, Derek as well, so we had like five people on. And so I just want people's input and more on the positive side of things. So if there's a specific person or combination that you love, um, that's what I want to hear. Uh, not what sucked more more positivity because that that's going to be uh, I think better uh, feedback to work with what you guys really liked um, more, and I am seeing a lot of positive comments and feedback from from people on Twitter and so that would allow me to more focus and visualize what I want the show to be about and how it differentiates from others I know like a lot of competitive shows don't deal. Don't have aren't so candid about some of the stuff that Andy, Elliot, Derek, and John have been pretty candid about. Whether it's the Owen issue, whether it's you know cheating, there's a lot of stuff that these guys are very open about. And I really appreciate that from them. And you're not going to hear on other shows that tend to either be too shy to talk about it or afraid to talk about it and just focus on a competitive side. So, yeah, any any feedback would be awesome. Um, just tweet at me. I mean, you know. All the pros and, and even Andy himself and, and John and Elliot listen to my new show, Table for Two. But the numbers show that this cast still has way more listeners. And so all you listeners who are listening to First Strike, my baby, tweet at me. The tweet that you're still listening uh, because feedback from people that are still listening is more useful than, than people who are, who are just randomly commenting because they heard an episode two years ago and hate it for X or Y reason. So, um, and with that, Plug Patreon.com if you want to support us, uh, support me and, and the time that I, I pour in into all the shows and air all the content that I do. Super appreciated. And um, yeah, love you guys. Love everyone that's watching live and love everyone, every single one that's that's listening in. Any last words for, for uh, Andy or John? Andy? Uh, go Clippers. Go Clippers. Go Kawhi and Paul George. John? I'm probably gonna keep memeing. I'm gonna probably there's a Mox Modern coming this Sunday, so I'm gonna try to turn one people and ruin their day. So go Neoform. Hey John, John, actually, you know when Kawhi went to the Clippers, I thought, oh man, they're gonna win for sure. But the Lakers were able to sign a lot of people for dirt cheap, so it's actually interesting. It's going to be an interesting battle. I mean, yeah, between Rookie cousins taking the minimum <laughs> all day to get a ring, and he can't do it. Gold, gold digger, but he's also rehabbing, so whatever. Um, Adam Silver said that um, these trade demands are disheartening <laughs> and something's broken, and that's, that's, that's the camp I'm on. But purely NBA-wise, yes, it's great, but I don't like seeing these small market teams who built their teams the right way, built through the draft in the second round, smart free agency <laughs> signing. They don't get rewarded except for the Raptors this year. Go Raptors. So, oh, plus they took away my Grizzlies, so um, fuck the NBA. Of of the top four teams, three of them were small market in the playoffs this year, right? It was Raptors, uh, Bucks, and uh, who else made it? Uh, Blazers and Golden State. Yeah, like Portland. That's three small market teams in the top four, baby. Get out of here. I don't like the the super friends uniting and making super teams. That's, uh, that's, That's where I'm at.
There's a good chance. Uh, Andy, there's a good chance Utah wins it all. Actually, um, the way the uh, injuries can happen to the other teams. So. They're like twelve to one. The Utah Jazz did uh, get a bunch of upgrades. That's going to be this. This season's going to be awesome. Like, sure, the Raptors are going to be like the seven seed or whatever. But what's the Lakers starting five? It's LeBron at the point. Danny Green. DG, at shooting guard. Yeah. DeMar- DeMarcus Cousins and uh, Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, I think yeah. Kuzma's going to have to play small forward. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, at least LA versus LA, that's going to be bonkers. You that know that's the Christmas time. You know Christmas Day is LA versus LA. It better be. If, people, if the NBA schedulers are smart. LeBron yeah. already telling Bronny he's going to be busy Christmas Day. <laughs> All right. Shout-outs to Top 8 Magic. Uh, inspiration for always introducing NBA in their podcast, and we're doing it. And see you all next week. Love you all.